I've had dogs. You have? Doggy Chow. Oh, I used to love Doggy Chow. <laughs> I used to love Doggy Chow too. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Girl Blogger, the podcast. I am Brett Collins again. Yeah, it's me. Ooh, okay, so like what bullshit do we have to talk about this time? I mean, I really need to like feel like I it's weird. It's like there's an odd balance of like sometimes I feel like there's too much to talk about and then sometimes I feel like there's not enough and then it's like has the time passed to talk about it? But then like maybe not because not everyone watches everything the moment it comes out, you know? But sometimes I just assume they do. I, whatever, who gives a fuck? Anyway, Brittany got slapped. I mean, I, okay, so I guess, yeah, so Brittany is in Vegas. Does she live there now? Don't know exactly why she was in Vegas, but she was entering Catch, the restaurant Catch, and I think it's like, is it in the Cosmopolitan? I don't know, in one of the Vegas hotels, and she sees this basketball, basketball player who I've never heard of in my life because why would I, but I was kind of surprised that Brittany knew who he was. His name is Victor Wembanyama. Did I just totally butcher that? I mean, does is anyone listening to this know who the fuck that is either or know how to pronounce it? Doubtful. But anyway, Brittany knows him and recognized him and was, I guess, like running up to greet him or meet him or something. And without really looking, his security kind of just like throws his hand back behind him and it slaps Brittany in the face. There's been video footage of this that's been released now. I think when the story originally dropped, we didn't get any video, so it was a bit unclear on how, you know, savage this uh, assault was. But after watching the video, it makes you wonder if it was an accident or what. I mean, actually, I don't know. If he threw his hand back, he meant to do something, right? I mean, did he know it was the legendary Miss Britney Spears, the princess of pop, walking behind them? Also don't know that, but yeah, it was pretty bad regardless. I mean, never okay to hit anyone, especially Ms. Britney Spears, but she got hit and uh, thankfully it wasn't too serious. Like if I'm being totally honest, I was a little bit relieved after seeing the video because like it made it clear that it wasn't like uh, some brutal, yeah, again, some like brutal assault happening in the middle of the Vegas, uh, you know, lobby or whatever that was. And uh yeah, but it also made it seem more dramatic because Britney took to Instagram to talk about it, which, I mean, we all know Britney's Instagram, like the most unhinged account on the app, but we live for it. <sighs> yeah, so she like released a little statement. I mean, I don't want to go back and find it and like it was whatever, but basically saying like it wasn't okay. She hasn't pressed charges. Don't know if anything else was going to happen, but yeah, just kind of addressing uh all of the things that were being posted about in the media. So, I mean, good for her, you know, for taking it into her own hands and, you know, laying it out for us, even though we ended up seeing video footage of it anyway. Whatever. I just thought I needed to talk about that because, I mean, everyone else seems to be talking about it, so why not document it on Girl Blogger? All right, moving on to another annoying story uh, that has to do with inappropriate behavior. Jonah Hill. 
I mean, love so many Jonah Hill movies, as I'm sure everyone does, but, like, I feel like it's kind of unspoken but known that he's just an insufferable person. Or maybe that's just my opinion. But I feel like I can just gauge that from his interviews, from his overall aura when he's not acting, even sometimes when he is acting maybe, but it's just like, you can tell he's like really full of himself, which it's like, okay, you're not sexy. You know what I mean? Like you're no, obviously no Brad Pitt. Not not even like, well, yeah, the irony is like you're no Paul Rudd either, even though I... I'm not a huge Paul Rudd stan, but I know everyone else is. But, like, I feel like you'd meet Paul Rudd and he'd be very humble and sweet and personable. But you'd meet Jonah Hill and he would, like, be cocky as fuck and, like, very (laughs) off-putting. These are all just assumptions I'm making. But I feel like you get the vibe. Like, anyone listening, like, I I feel like you'd probably agree with me on this, especially with the Jonah Hill um, personality take but oh the reason i'm even bringing him up is because it just got released these text messages that he was sending his now ex-girlfriend were they or maybe they were more than girl i don't know some his partner that he was with this woman uh released text messages of these kind of unhinged uh messages he sent her regarding like boundaries he was setting and these are just so funny because it's just the misuse of um boundaries and like he's basically take everyone's saying that he's like taking a uh therapy terminology and just completely misusing it which is right he is misusing it so here's what she posted a text from jonah hill he says plain and simple if you need plain and simple if what that doesn't make sense anyways his boundaries are she cannot be seen surfing with men uh boundaryless inappropriate friendships with men he's not okay with she cannot model not okay with that cannot post pictures of herself in a bathing suit or just any sexual pictures cannot post what's i would like more details on that what is uh defined as a sexual picture jonah can we get an example his next boundary friendships with women who are in unstable places and from your wild recent past beyond getting a lunch or coffee or something respectful that's his last boundary and if she can't respect any of these then he is not the partner for her like fuck off i mean that last one is just like that's full satire like that is high camp friendships with women who are in unstable places and from your wild recent past beyond getting a lunch or coffee or something respectful. Okay, so like basically just alcohol can't be involved. I mean, again, what an idiot. But yeah, I just kind of wanted to talk about that mainly because I just wanted to complain about Jonah Hill and how I've always kind of envisioned him to be this person. So to just see that this has come out and he is this person is a little bit satisfying. Like, I'm a little bit devilishly happy about that. However, I will say, not to shame this girl that posted it, but there is something a bit sinister about when you share a text message like this from a very famous person, because you know, especially in today's culture, like, the backlash it's going to get and the, like, extreme hate and just that it'll instantly become a story, which it has. So, like, that was a pretty savage move on her part and on her part and she's also saying that this is like to help other women which i feel like is also a misuse of therapy terms because she's not doing this to help other women she's doing this out of revenge which like 
honestly get it girl like kind of a girl boss move like this is solid revenge but don't play it off like you're trying to help other chicks because i really don't think you are anyway yuck i mean imagine having sex with jonah hill that would be like having sex with bobby from king of the hill like the son on king of the hill that's exactly how i envision him in my head it's basically just this like prepubescent nerd and yeah no just sex with that just it just seems so inappropriate and gross so no okay moving on to more important things that i've really wanted been talking wanted to be talking about that are going to be the more focus of this podcast episode clearly because those were just you know little things i wanted to interject um because i bet other people have opinions on them as well okay the idol moving on to the idol the idol has been a very controversial show as we've come to realize on the internet and you know everyone just whatever uh it wasn't good let's just let's just put that out there i mean it wasn't i i really wanted it to be i think a lot of people that are into this type of vibe really wanted it to be anyone that's you know, follows me on Instagram, anyone that follows Velvet Coke on Instagram, anyone that loves showgirls, like, we were all excited for this show. And honestly, the first episode, maybe even the first two episodes, or maybe it was just the first episode, I can't really keep track. The first episode was definitely promising. Like, it really seemed like it was gonna be fucking good and that everyone was just wrong. Because, yeah, so the idol started out strong, but it really went on a steady but confident decline into just being a not very great show but I mean I don't know it's funny like I feel like a lot of people like why were they initially hating on it though like I feel like a lot of people were initially hating on the idol because they just like I honestly feel like they're just kind of jealous of Lily Rose Depp like is that overstepping to, to say that like very jealous you know but maybe not. Maybe that's just me, whatever, being obsessed with her and not understanding how other people aren't obsessed with her. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, I loved the vibes of the show, like the overall aesthetic, the way it was shot, the cinematography, the music was great. Costumes were great. Of course, Lily Rose Depp, I thought was amazing. Honestly, all of the performances were really good, minus The weekend, like which I'll get into more details, but, like, everyone's very aware. I'm sure they've seen all the clips on Twitter or Instagram of uh, his... I mean, a lot of it wasn't good, but there was some really, like, eek, like, cringe scenes of him. Anytime he really tried to be, like, aggressive or assertive and just, like, kind of a... Like, he did not have that cult leader uh, confidence that I feel like he was trying to put on, but whatever more onto that while I unwrap everything or you know unpack everything yeah everything Lily Rose Depp wears in this show is pretty great it kind of reminds me of everything I attempted to sketch back at my time at FITM in college it was just like sexy skimpy pop star club wear and like her ass was pretty much out the entire time like everything she was wearing was just like riding up and so where you could see like kind of the under crease of the ass that was like a must have been like a note from the producers or from someone to the costume designer like oh we have to have it tailored just to hit the bottom of her ass so if she even like leans forward a half an inch like you're seeing full thong and that was 
pretty much a look in every episode, I'd say. But yeah, I can't go over everything because I'll literally just explode and like no one wants to hear that. But my biggest takeaway about The Idol is that it's very clear after especially watching the finale that Sam Levinson really wanted to modernize Paul Verhoeven's films Showgirls and Basic Instinct. And again, after the finale, which I feel like spoke a lot to the entire five episodes is that Basic Instinct was the biggest focus. Also, just a side note, it was supposed to be six episodes, but five episodes. I'm not sure if they cut an entire episode or if they just, like, edited down things to, like, combine the sixth episode and fifth episode into one. Likely they did the latter. Don't know. But, um, yeah, I'd say that those two films of Paul Verhoeven, Showgirls and Basic Instinct, were just the big inspiration for this series. And because of those films, Basic Instinct was very successful. Showgirls was very notoriously not successful. But upon reflection of both of those films, they have very similar energy, of course, because they're directed by the same person. But uh, they also just um, kind of draw in the same audience and do have very similar uh, yeah, kind of energies, especially from the female characters in the show. But the biggest problem with that is that both those movies were very campy and not necessarily intentionally campy, which was the big problem with Showgirls at the time. But that's why they're so beloved now, because they were like very sleazy, very sexy, very campy and also very exciting in thrillers. I mean, they're I mean, especially Basic Instinct were uh, erotic thrillers. And so he really wanted to touch on not only the genre of erotic thriller, but kind of the like camp unintentionally, but isn't intentionally satire erotic thriller. So yeah, here's, here's my biggest problem is that Sam Levinson was trying to cover too many bases with the tone of the show and ended up spreading it too thin because it's like, was it all supposed to be satirical and kind of like comedic undertones? And was it totally supposed to be a mockery of the current music industry? Or was it supposed to have more of a literal take on the music industry and be shocking and edgy in that way? However, what is unclear is which they were leaning towards more because they weren't really leaning towards one or the other more. So then it kind of just ends up becoming confusing and the message isn't really clear as viewers as to like, what exactly we're watching and if we're supposed to be laughing if we're not supposed to be all I know is that I wasn't really laughing very much that's certainly you know I wasn't laughing at this like I was at showgirls or even at some moments of basic instinct the only thing I was laughing at were the weekend's attempts to intimidate like especially that scene where he's trying to intimidate the security guy at Valentino that was brutal that was brutal and that was definitely not supposed to be funny like I think that was definitely the weekend's attempt at seeming like an aggressive, uh, yeah, cult leader. Which, like, again, if you watch the show, basically, in a nutshell, the plot line is Joc- Jocelyn is a pop star going through some shit. Her mom died. She's having a mental breakdown. She's fragile. She goes to a club one night with her friend. She meets the weekend, who ends up being this kind of dark crazy guy that is a music producer but is like low key uh trying to conspire and create this group of people to have a bit of a cult and kind of overtake the music industry in a way 
But then as we see as it progresses, he's trying to overtake Jocelyn and her career and just like kind of use her as a pawn to get his own power in everything or something. And uh, yeah, that's like the what the show is about in a nutshell. It's a pretty dragged out. You can tell that like there was a lot of reshoots on this show and you can sense that while you're watching it because you can see that they fill a lot of things with just like extended music montage, kind of like what they did in Baywatch or something. It would just be like them singing with like slow motion things. And it's like, okay, well, what is going on here? You know, like there's, for in order for this story to work, you really need to go scene by scene and carefully plan out, uh, you know, the progression of all the different characters and storylines and also for it to be compelling and keep our attention and ultimately, you know, have the big payoff at the end. And it just really didn't. I feel like that another big problem with the show is just like it promised a lot and based on the story, it could have done a lot, but it ended up just really falling flat and being disappointing. Yeah, so, um, uh, like, just kind of, again, like, points that I was thinking of, like, there's a lot of parts in the show that are cringe, that it's not clear if it was intended to be cringe, so it ends up just making it extra uncomfortable, because when things are intentionally cringy, like, we cringe at them, but we accept it, because we know that's what we're supposed to be seeing, but when we're not, it's just, I mean, yeah, it's just confusing, I guess is the word. But um, yeah, and The weekend just being deeply unsexy did not help. And not unsexy in like a, uh, you know, kind of like grungy, like Danny Trejo kind of way. Like that's the kind of unsexy that actually ends up being sexy. He was just unsexy and like... Uh, it's just kind of like a weird like party city kind of way like his whole look looks like a pre-made costume that you could get at party city in my opinion at least but anyway yeah there were some other photos that got released um of cut scenes and parts of the show from when amy simitz is that that's how you pronounce her name was the original director of the idol before she got replaced with sam levinson and all these pictures are of like more like cutesy pop star things very kind of like disney looking thing it's like jocelyn with like a cardboard cutout of her of herself and jocelyn with like some like fun colorful merch and it's kind of unclear it's like okay wait was this going to be jocelyn's whole vibe of the idol like she was going to be more of like a bubblegum pop girl or were these cut scenes from like flashbacks of like where she started in her career probably that but again since they weren't in the show and we just saw pictures i don't really know maybe there is some article floating around that explains it but i haven't read it but the whole reason i brought that up because what i thought was interesting is that since they were such disney things it again makes me think that the idol or the weekend totally based the idol off of selena gomez and if those scenes were included it would have made it even more apparent apparent that like it was very uh, a lot of parallels to selena for sure however the thing that was not at all selena gomez and as we see in the fifth episode they really try and throw us a curveball and give us a big plot twist but that also fell very flat so spoiler alert here is the big twist of the idol so i mean i still say watch it just because it's a fun stupid show that's the other thing i'll just add in right now watch the idol you know if you have nothing else to watch 
it's sexy, it's stupid, it's not a hard, you don't have to focus, so you can just watch it. But anyway, so the fifth episode, they basically, the big thing is they turn the tables and The weekend was taking advantage of Lily Rose Depp. He seemed to be overpowering her. It seemed like he had, you know, all the cards and the ball in his court. And in one of the middle episodes, she reveals to him that her mom who passed away used to beat her with a hairbrush. So then he somehow manipulates her into letting him beat her with a hairbrush while like everyone watches. That was pretty bizarre. And like, I was just kind of like, okay, the scene went on too long. It was just stupid. The reason that was an essential scene is because now towards the end, when we see Lily turn the tables and now she is taking control, she has all the power somehow. He's kind of on the outs and she's kind of back, uh, you know, focused and better than ever because we seen she seemed like she was kind of like a you know bubbling mess and just a you know basket cased in the earlier episodes but now all of a sudden she's you know on her shit and kind of seems like some like calculated temptress which leads me to believe that this whole character is supposed to be Catherine Trammell who is Sharon Stone's character Sharon Stone's character in Basic Instinct. And they even dress her like Catherine Trammell throughout basically the entire fifth episode. So she's all of a sudden in control. And I mean, it's kind of hard to articulate. You just kind of have to see it. You kind of, It doesn't really make sense why she's become so in control, but she's basically like, uh-uh, like I want you gone and like shoes him out of the house. And I think he even gets, the weekend gets taken out of the house like by police or something but then he somehow ends up back like backstage at her world tour so her world tour that was originally off and no one thought was going to happen is now back on and uh she's backstage getting ready for the show and he picks up the hairbrush which if you've seen basic instinct we learn now that this hairbrush is the equivalent to Catherine Trammell's ice pick it's kind of like symbolic of her like calculated like murderous ways even though Lily Rose Depp doesn't murder anyone in this like in Sharon Stone does in Basic Instinct but the hairbrush is symbolic and he picks it up and he's like this is the hairbrush you said your mom beat you with and she like gives him a little like smirky look and is like yeah that's what I said and he's like but it's brand new and that is supposed to be, like, the big Gone Girl twist that, like, oh, she lied about getting beaten, which I suppose is supposed is supposed to make the audience wonder, like, oh, if she lied about that, she could have been lying about everything. Was this all just one big elaborate plan for her to use him? And it makes you wonder, like, well, then what exactly was she using The weekend for? And I guess it was, like, in order to make her better music. But the big problem there is that her original song, World Class Sinner, which I fucking love, is better than the music The Weeknd ends up making for her. Some people may disagree with that. Like, it's kind of subjective, but it's not a clear enough distinction of like, oh, her original music was so horrible and his music is so epic. So it also leaves us kind of confused as viewers because it's like, wait, like that's the music he created for her? Is it really that much better? Like, is, is this supposed to be like guaranteed, you know, platinum music or something? 
whatever. So I guess that's kind of the message is that like this was all one big elaborate plan for Lily Rose Depp to use the weekend to get his talent, I suppose, and have music made for her. And then at the end, she like brings him on stage and she's like, you know what? Like, you're mine now. And it's like, is he? Like, would he agree to that? I don't know. It just really doesn't hit home. Like, it kind of is confusing. I'll admit, I didn't really focus as much on the back end episodes as I did the front end. So I probably missed a few things. But I'd say the general consensus is that it really didn't have uh, the climax that we were hoping for, for sure. So I don't know, like that was that, the idol happened. I was more so just kind of obsessed with the Lily Rose Depp of it all than the actual show. I wonder if other people feel the same, let me know. But yeah, I don't know. A part of me wonders if this show is gonna have a cult following in years to come, like, I don't know. But the thing that I actually don't think it will is because it's not unintentionally campy enough like Showgirls was or a lot of other cult, you know, B movies are because those movies are so coveted because they were unintentionally hilarious where the idol doesn't quite qualify for that. And also it's not like edgy and innovative enough to be, um, you know, have a cult following like even like a Rocky Horror or something like that that was just like so unique and uh you know refreshing in the time that it came out and the idol I don't think qualifies for that either so whatever the idol happened you know I'm I'm not necessarily pleased with it but you know I'm not livid with it either like uh, I'll, I'll move on I suppose so that is that <clears throat> and just like that we're back to recapping and just like that Woo! Okay, so from the idol not being so great, to, I wouldn't qualify in just like that episode three as being amazing. However, I was very pleased, as I mentioned on my previous episode of the podcast, episode three was a giant step in the right direction for and just like that. I have to admit, it was finally funny. That's what it was. It was finally a funny episode. I was sitting alone, like refreshing Instagram, thinking I wasn't going to be paying attention that much. And you know what? I did because it was funny. And I'll say right now, Seema is definitely the MVP of the show, hands down, because like it's again, like I mentioned, she's the only bitch serving any type of Samantha energy. She's the only one that's aspirational. Like we kind of want to be Seema. I certainly don't want to be Miranda. Certainly don't want to be Che Diaz. And I don't really want to be Charlotte and... Harry because I'll get into it later but like Harry kind of kind of grosses me out you know what I mean I feel like other people are feeling that too like I don't yeah kind of gross I don't want to be having sex with Harry no but um yeah SEMA MVP so I mean let's just I'm just gonna try and do a quick recap highlight of each bitch and what they're going through in the episodes just to keep it a little organized and not too chaotic So this episode is called Chapter 3, and the reason for that being is because Carrie is narrating her silly little uh, audiobook for her sad, sad memoir about Mr. Big dying. But uh, she's struggling to get through Chapter 3 because, of course, that's the episode or that's the chapter where Big dies in that, you know, after that Peloton incident in the shower and... Carrie being the, you know, hopeless romantic that she is, it's just hard for her to power through it without the tears just coming right back. So 
I mean, not not very surprising, but it was just kind of like, I mean, even though that's not really a funny storyline, whatever, it just did felt very authentic to Carrie. Like, of course, Carrie's just like, oh, she just can't handle it. And the tears keep coming. It's like, oh. So in order to, what does Carrie do? Takes the grown-up approach, and instead of getting over it, she decides to fake COVID and, uh, fake COVID and avoid recording the audiobook, which honestly is just like, so selfish and just inconvenient to the producers what now they have to like fucking hire and pay some other person like that's gonna you know like they could have wasted money on like studio hours that they booked or something like so selfish Carrie like fuck you but whatever she also runs into that like hot random extra character that was completely unnecessary named Lizette that like lives underneath her in a nicer apartment than her in her building and so Lizette's like, oh my god, Carrie, remember me? Like, my jewelry. And Carrie's like, okay, I'll go. So it's like, Carrie, you can't record your pod or your um, audiobook, but you can go to this bitch's jewelry party. I mean, whatever. Like, good for her for, like, being supportive. But I don't know. Like, even though Lizette isn't really an annoying character, it's just like, god, how many new characters can we handle? It's just like another reminder that it's like, oh, this bitch is back. Like, do we care? Not really. But at least, like, she's hot and, like, pretty well dressed too so i mean you'll we'll see that we'll get into later when carrie goes to that weird party so seem is walking outside and this is the best and it's funny because it's so stupid but she gets her birkin stolen by some random crook in broad daylight and uh yeah i guess this isn't the first time that luxury items have been stolen right off the women of sex in the city like when carrie got her manolos stolen back uh in the original series when she was like walking down an alley and some guy was like, give me a Manolo Blahnix. And she was like, Oh, but that was like, kind of reminded me of that maybe. So it was like very nice to see that. And like, these are the storylines I want, just like mindless hijinks that really don't mean anything, but they're just good in the moment. I mean, I guess they kind of have like a sitcom quality, but I don't know. Again, it just felt very Samantha. Like, I feel like this is something that would happen to her and her just, like, putting on one of those, like, Raquel Welsh wigs to, like, go on a manhunt and find her, like, uh, you know, the thief that stole her Birkin. Like, it just felt like something like that, which I very much appreciated. Oh, so that's Seema whole story, whole storyline, which, yeah, it's not very complicated, but... I guess that's what they need to know in the writer's room. We don't need any complicated, innovative storyline. Just give us some bullshit like that, and we'll be way more happy than with this other Che Diaz shit you've been giving us. Anyway, moving on to the other girls. Charlotte and LTW are kind of connected in this episode because it's all about this MILF list. And actually, maybe the MILF list kind of rivals Seema's Birkin storyline. The MILF list actually might be better to most people, the Birkin thing just seems extra fun to me. But anyways, the MILF list is actually probably the better storyline for most people in this. So there's a MILF list going around the school that Charlotte and LTW's kids go to. And uh, yeah, they're like at first kind of against it, like kind of acting like, oh, like, oh, how shocking, how horrible, like that's not good. And then they get the MILF list and they realize that they are number two and number three on the list. And so all of a sudden they're super excited and flattered, which I really appreciate because this is finally like a non-woke storyline happening on Just Like That. And we all can agree that the worst part of it, Just Like That is the extreme forced wokeness that is just like, 
so unbearable and so it's like finally finally they like took a step away from that and are giving us something that is not woke and we prefer that so yeah I would you know keep on this train but anyway yeah they're number two and three and Charlotte says a funny thing about how number one is actually a stepmom and Charlotte's like that should be on a different list and I just feel like that was just kind of like a bitchy detail that like my mom would note so like that was just a little funny something I really appreciated and so like good for you Charlotte for like wanting to knock that other bitch off so she can like oh so actually so Charlotte was number three and LTW was number two just uh in case you didn't watch it but yeah okay now oh god Miranda and Che never what I'm looking forward to and just like that but I mean reality like really if I like maybe I am looking forward to Miranda and Che because we do love to hate Che like that is one thing with how annoying Che is how much the discourse of the hating on Che on the internet Really, maybe this character is a blessing because they've given us so much ammo for memes and for just something to complain about, which a lot of us like to do. I mean, that's pretty much why I have this entire podcast. Okay, here we go. Che is struggling to get through their pilot, like reading lines with Miranda. And Che is actually extra annoying in this scene because they're not being very appreciative for Miranda reading lines with them. And then also Miranda points out how Che is supposed to cry. It is written into the script and the dialogue of the script. And Che's like, no, I can't cry because then people will think that being non-binary is like something to dread and like that I'm not happy, but I am happy which I suppose is like a valid point, but it's like, bitch, that's not the script. Like, you have to cry. Like, really what we're vibing is that Che is just afraid that they can't cry on cue. So it's like, just be honest, Che. You're afraid you can't commit to the bit. Like, that's what you're struggling with. Ugh, fucking Che. But I will say Miranda is kind of like funny in this little bit of when she's like bopping around LA, like this like doofus that she's become she gets on the phone with carrie and she's like i like la it's like pretend life which honestly is a great summary of la and like the people that live here and their attitude towards life because it is like that like there's like an insane amount of unemployed people here or people that are unemployed but they won't say that because they like think they're employed because they have like three side hustles and like a part-time part-time job very common in LA which I feel like pretend life just really captures that and it's honestly probably why I love it so much because you just never really have to take anything too serious living here so I'm glad that that has been highlighted and that Miranda notes that she almost gets a tattoo which is again this doofus version of Miranda that she's become like Miranda would never get a fucking tattoo like are you kidding and never mind a robot tattoo which is what the tattoo artist recommends to her he's like oh like that made from the Jetsons like why don't you get that and Miranda's like okay like no Miranda would never do that I don't know it's just frustrating I feel like I've gone on about it before like Miranda like she just isn't this person so it's just you know it's a bit frustrating but again I mean maybe I'm being conflicting because I just said that I liked the other thing she said but you know it's 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 two different emotions I feel towards her in this in this episode for sure but I will say probably because there's minimal Che and it's more focused on Miranda in this storyline and in this episode I am enjoying it more than I have in the past so great great 
Um, but yeah, definitely anti-Miranda getting that tattoo. And I don't think she got it. So like, thank God. Okay, moving on to Naya. Who really gives a fuck? I mean, like, what what is she doing on this show? Like, she's so far removed from the other girls. It's just, like, kind of distracting at this point. In her scene, she's, like, kind of, like, being a hoe with this, like, sound guy that's, like, trying to pin a mic on her lapel or something. She's, like, trying to shoot this scene for, or, like, an interview for LTW's documentary, like cute that they tried to tie in those girls together but it I don't know it just seems so forced and it's like I kind of feel bad for this actress because she's really just getting the shit end like I never remember what happens with Naya and I don't think anyone does because it's just like extra screen time that really doesn't need to be there oh okay back to Carrie Carrie and Bitsy Von fucking muffling like she is just popping up everywhere she is I saw this Twitter like um funny tweet that was like Bitsy Von Muffling is the it follows of and just like that and she truly is like you just like look over your shoulder and she's just like wide-eyed walking towards you like in that like loud obnoxious like Carrie like I mean it's kind of funny but it's just like is she friends with a producer is she friends with Michael Patrick King because she is all over and just like that I mean maybe she was just kind of a coveted uh, cameo character on the original series so they're kind of like giving her extra screen time in this but whatever she like appears out of nowhere ambushes Carrie and she's like oh my god I spent a hundred dollars a hundred thousand dollars on a facelift and I still have to get my lip waxed like okay like I, I don't think facelifts cost a hundred k like who the fuck ripped you off Bitsy like do your homework like that sounds very excessive like I don't even think like a Kris Jenner facelift would cost hundred thousand. Maybe it would though. So maybe she's not wrong. I don't know. I haven't I haven't gotten a facelift yet, so I really can't speak on that. It just seemed a little dramatic. But then she also shares this like dark tidbit of information to Carrie. She's like, Oh, Carrie, you're so upset about big dying. Well, like the first year is bad, but honey, the second year is even worse. Like no one tells you that. It's the dirty little secret. Um talking as if she's Samantha. So maybe that's another reason why they're putting her in to give like a little Samantha chutzpah even though she doesn't have the same chutzpah as Kim Cattrall at all but whatever she's like you should do something to make you happy honey so what does Carrie do she goes shoe shopping and that's another reason I love this episode because it was like oh a reminder that Carrie loves not only shopping but shoe shopping and she buys like two dozen like thousand dollars a pop shoes which is just you know very unrealistic and but it's something carrie would do so great and she got this great pair of lueve like balloon strappy sandals which like i've seen highlighted on a few instagram accounts and like that was very lovely so like good for you and buying those shoes okay back to charlotte and ltw this this scene is the turning point that made me say like okay this episode is hands down the best we've seen and then just like that Probably because I'm gay and, like, a little fucked up, but whatever. So back to the MILF list. They're at the school. They're, like, apparently about to find out who the boy is that wrote the MILF list. And these other moms are like, oh, he's really hot. And Charlotte's like, that is inappropriate to talk about a child. But then this, like, weird imposter Iggy Azalea music starts playing and the girls like slow-mo turn to see who's walking in and it's the kid who wrote the MILF list and he's like this hot jockey kind of like gay-faced bubble butt like uh you know um what's that sport called like 
lacrosse player that walks in and all of the women are like ah, like trembling at the sight of him because he's like so hot and I will say he is pretty fucking hot and the other thing that again I love about this is the non-PC-ness like I mean the non yeah the non-PC the non-woke we need at least little somethings like this because it's like we need this is like the you know kind of raunchy shock value that we want like unlike some of the other stuff that I'll get into later but it was just so nice to see them do something that's completely not woke because at the oldest this kid has to be like what 18 like but he's probably like 16 or 17 so he's underage and they're gawking at him which is pretty scandalous so like whatever we love that like they're not actually fucking him like that would be pushing it too far so like whatever let them gawk at like the hot teen it was just it was just very nice to see and then like after that it like cuts to all of the women and charlotte and ltw they're like back in this like parent teacher thing and they're like oh yeah we're gonna punish that kid hard like i don't know exactly what they say probably like suspension or something but then like horny charlotte and ltw like jump up to his defense and they're like no he doesn't need that harsh of punishment like like we should really practice justice here or like they use some like political terminology of like oh like he needs to be correctly uh treated and then these other bitches chime in they're like you just don't want him punished because you two are number two and three on the hot milf list and they're like are we and like it was just funny to see them like have a little comedic synchronized like beat there together and i feel like they just played it off really well and like those are other moments i want to see so it was just like wow thank it's like that scene really just uplifted me and I actually laughed and it was like, ugh, I felt energized. Like, and that's how I want to feel watching and just like that. I don't want to feel dragged through the mud like I have for the past year or like whatever that year was where the first season went through. Anyway, back to Miranda being a doofus back in LA. Oh, this was a big doofy moment, but it was actually pretty funny. So she goes to see this taping of Che Diaz's whatever Tony Danza sitcom and she like sneaks her phone in and then of course right when Che is almost nailing the cry when she has to cry on cue which apparently now she's okay with crying on cue doofus Miranda's like what phone that's been acting up goes off her ringer goes off everyone turns and looks at her it's so embarrassing and she ruined the moment and I mean, it was pretty funny and it was just, I feel like, cause Miranda did have those like awkward, embarrassing moments in the original series. Like when she had braces, like that fucking episode, like, I guess that was kind of a doofus Miranda moment. So this felt more, you know, authentic to that, like that original Miranda doofus versus this and just like that one that she's just been a bumbling mess everywhere so she gets kicked out or she doesn't get kicked out but she like runs out because she's so embarrassed and then she like brady calls her and he's just like crying like a little bitch on the phone he's just so annoying all the kids on end just like that are so fucking annoying like he's crying about that like louisa his like oversexed girlfriend like dumped his sorry ass and he is whining on the phone and he's like i'm gonna kill myself and Miranda's like no don't and she's like taking it so seriously i mean i think he's just like being dramatic i don't think brady's actually suicidal but whatever he's like in amsterdam so he's like flying all the way back to new york from europe then i i didn't even note it but like carrie and not carrie miranda and che get in some like fight about her phone going off but then she's like whatever che like i have a child i need to get back to 
And they part ways. And uh, Miranda flies back to New York to be with Brady, who gives a fuck. I don't care about him and his breakup. Back to Carrie. She goes to Lizette's party. And a bunch of, or not a bunch, one thief, like, steals all the jewelry and the security, like, doesn't do anything about it. But then Seema, this other amazing moment I loved of hers, she stops the thief by pulling a gun out, or what we think is a gun, but I quickly realized, and I feel like most people did watching it, that it's not a gun, it's just a lighter shaped like a gun. But the thief fell for it, and he runs, but he still takes all the jewelry. And it was just kind of like a boss bitch again samantha moment that Seema had and then she like lights a cigarette after everyone's like fleeing the scene from this like uh, weird uh, crime that just happened and a, a security guy's like hey you can't smoke even though they're outside and she's like oh like i'm the problem which like yeah you're right no some like you just let some fool t- come in and steal all this bitch's jewelry so now she can't make her orders at Saks and neiman's Oh, whatever. And then the cherry on top for Seema is that after she's, there's some funny scenes interjected there where she's like on the real reel or something like looking for her Birkin to see if she can rebuy it, but it's like way more expensive than when she originally got it. And she's like, fuck, while like smoking and crying in bed. It was pretty funny. But the cherry on top is that while she's petting a dog, walking home, she actually bends down and looks over in a bush and there is her Birkin. Just had the wallet stolen out of it, but the bag is still intact, and she's so satisfied that she can take home her Birkin. And honestly, I was very satisfied too. I was so satisfied. It probably was most, definitely the most satisfied I've felt in this current season of, and just like that, thus far. And then her and Seema, or her and Carrie celebrate by going out to like a bar or something where they're at a communal table, and these like hot Australian guys are like, Oh, let's see. I don't, whatever. They like hit on them and uh, they're into it kind of. And Carrie's, oh, the end just like that of the episode is Carrie goes, and just like that, I got COVID. Oh, sorry. I forgot to say that Carrie did ultimately confess about having fake COVID and she did get through that final third chapter of her book and she said, um, talking about the shower that as the water hit my blue heels, they turned black, which was very carry and very poetic way to talk about big dying. But yeah, so then after that, and just like that, she actually did get COVID. So I guess that was karma, Carrie, for lying about that, you bitch. Okay. Whew. And just like that, episode four, I don't know what this one's called, but it might as well just be called like cum guzzlers or like bukkake because this whole episode is all about jizz and, oh Lord, it just was kind of gross. I will say it. So like the girls I love the, and just like that, or not, I'm sorry, the every outfit girls that also have a podcast. One of them was just saying like, this episode's gross. That's what I wrote down a million times. Like, this is gross. Why is this so gross? And I do appreciate how episode four really pushed the raunchy humor, but it was gross. And I mean, an example of this, just as they started out the episode, was with fucking creepy Bobby Lee. Why is Carrie still friends with him? Why is this another character on the show that's so unnecessary? Ugh, don't care about him. But of course he has like IBS or something and he's like talking about his diarrhea. He's like, oh no, I shouldn't have had hollandaise before noon. And it's just like, ew whatever so he like runs off and then carrie sees enid her old vogue editor played to perfection by the amazing 
uh, Candace Bergen, who, if you don't know this, Candace Bergen was a super hot model of the 70s. Like, Google Candace Bergen Young and you'll love it. Like, she was so chic and so hot. But anyway, she's old, but she's still fabulous. And uh, so she's, like, trying to avoid Carrie at first, but then Carrie, like, calls her out. And Enid's like, oh, sorry, I was avoiding you because your husband died and, like, I never sent my condolences. And Carrie's like, oh, haha, it's okay. And then Enid's like, oh, actually, like, I want a favor from you. Like, can you uh, come to my, like, launch for my new business? And then Enid apparently already has a business, like a newsletter or something. And Carrie's like, oh, like, how about you plug my book on your already successful newsletter? And Enid's like, oh, no, no. Like, I then I'd have to plug everyone's book. And Carrie's like, oh. But then Enid's like, you should still come, though. Like, women our age, you know, and then, like, references women our age a few times to Carrie. And it's like, obviously, Carrie's offended because there's a 20-year age gap there. But who knows? Maybe she's more so in reference to, like, that they're both old and single now. Whatever. Uh, So that's the start of Carrie's storyline. Cut to Charlotte. Her and LTW dropping those fucking kids off. Thank God. They're, like, going to summer camp. I hope they're there the rest of the series. Apparently, I heard that on uh, the writer's podcast, MPK wanted to do uh, scenes of Brock and Lily, like, at their summer camp, like, totally separate from everyone else. And it's like, how much time do they think they have per episode? Like, we can't have these episodes be the length of an entire feature film. Like, we do not have time for fucking Brock and Lily at summer camp. No, that's awful. Like, what scene of them playing volleyball or, like making like a house out of popsicle sticks like fuck that shit i do not want to see it anyway i i shouldn't be getting so heated because we don't see that we don't see the kids at summer camp thank heavens but instead charlotte and harry like are i guess they just haven't had sex like in months or something because they're like super horny and literally like run home from dropping the kids off to go fuck and after they do it's like a scene of them having sex and Oh, I mean, it was kind of, it's really, it sounds so like yucky and inappropriate to say, but after they're about to finish or as they're about to finish, Charlotte says to Harry, come on my tits, which is just, oh God, it's just so brutal. Like are women of that age, like really saying that not to like, you know, be ageist or saying that they shouldn't, but I guess it's more a woman like Charlotte. I don't think a woman like Charlotte is dirty talking to her husband when they're having like afternoon sex and says come on my tits like uh, yikes but then he tries to and we don't see anything which i don't even know if they would have been allowed to show that but we don't see any cum shot so it's a little confusing but then we're like oh what is what's going on and then charlotte's like oh my god like no jizz came out and it's like i guess harry had like a dry orgasm And that becomes, like, their storyline, which is, like, kind of funny. But again, it's, like, I appreciate the attempt at, like, the raunchy humor, but this isn't the kind of, like, real raunchy humor we want, I'd say. I don't know. Did anyone, did other people think it was funny? Or I don't know. I just kind of got the ick from it. It's, like, it's, like, if you, like, walked in on, like, hearing, like, your relatives talking about their sex life or something it just felt like something you're not supposed to be hearing and we were hearing so it was just 
a little bit jarring and like made my skin crawl a bit and like what is the deal with like always talking about harry and sex like we saw his dick in the first season and now like all of this i feel like there's just too much centralized about harry's genitals and like he's not hot and i think like i said earlier like i think harry looks better when he was like heavier now he's been like looking a little frail and i mean like i guess good for the actor evan handler for like losing weight if that's what he wanted to do but like I don't know, it just, like, kind of makes my skin crawl, and, like, I don't want to be thinking about fucking Harry, you know, but that's kind of what this episode is all about, and then, oh, so after that, we jumped to a lunch scene, which was good, because finally it seemed, again, like, I really just kind of latch on to anything that feels like the original Sex in the City, and just, like, has the essence of the old show, because, like, that's really what we want here, just kind of a more updated version of that, we all know that's not what we're getting, but whatever so it's the ladies at lunch it's miranda charlotte carrie and anthony and anthony's always a good samantha replacement so there we go and they're talking about jizz and they keep calling it jizz i guess like as opposed to semen or cum no matter what like it's again a little bit jarring and it's like as if you hear like you're like you know like your first grade teacher talking about jizz and cum or something like sucking dick and cock or it's just like Ugh, like it's just a lot you know like I don't know if I want to hear that but they're going on and on about it and Miranda says she doesn't like it shocker Carrie says she's never thought about it but then is like jizz jizz it's like an old annoying friend I'd miss it if it went away and it's like is that a good metaphor no I don't think so and then Anthony says he's like a milking machine, which like the fucking gay monster he is. Oh, and then he orders more mayo to like really, uh, you know, put a button on that joke. And then Charlotte says that jizz is like uh, confetti at the end of the party, or it's like fireworks at the end of the 4th of July, which is actually, that is a very good metaphor. So like kudos to you, Charlotte. Like that's funny. Like we love that. And then someone calls Charlotte a cum slut. I think it's Miranda, which it's just like, <gasps> it just it just sounds so n- naughty, like to call Charlotte a cum slut. It's, it almost sounds like they're calling her like a super derogatory term, which I'm, I suppose that is, but it's almost like, you know, calling her like a faggot or something. Like that's how like sharp it sounds when she says it. It's like, <gasps> like kind of like, you know, like lost my breath or just like flexed like, you know had to like to like blink my eyes really hard every time they said jizz or cum slut just like wow Whew. but okay moving on from the jizz talk to ltw i can't like, like all the side girls like don't really care and this is the biggest bullshit storyline so it's like all about ltw and her husband's like anniversary party dinner thing and they're like really looking forward to it charlotte and harry are invited but then the party happens and oh no, her husband forgot to send out invitations, if that's possible. Uh, so that's why no one's there except for the people that they invited by word of mouth who are literally like Charlotte, Harry, like someone else, and then the bitchy mother-in-law who now just has more ammo to hate on LTW and make snarky remarks to her face about like why just what a horrible wife she is i guess or something but like again who really cares like the mother-in-law is kind of funny but i want i wish they could like the writing's just not that great like they need to give her more like bunny mcdougall material i don't know but yeah that's ltw don't really care 
oh i forgot there's like a weird scene of charlotte and harry like doing kegel exercises because the doctor's like oh if you want to get your sperm back you like need to do kegel exercises and charlotte has to explain what that is to harry and she's like one two three four slurp that come from the bottom of the floor or something like that which saying that out loud now that can't be the actual line because that makes it sound like he's sucking up come from the floor which is not what he's doing I, it's weird I, it's too much like so much talk about jizz from harry and charlotte it's really really a lot to take in and it's there's something metaphor or like things she talks about like holding on a fart or holding in a fart to harry and like explaining what a kegel muscle is it's just gross like it is just gross like it, I, this this scene definitely grossed me out i didn't like it it was a lot okay jumping forward to a uh, hobbs family therapy session it's like miranda oh steve is back steve is back in this episode the first scene we see him in he's shirtless and he is looking just toned as ever like that was really a gift that they gave us like yeah steve is looking great like you made a mistake miranda like yucky che diaz i would take steve any day i think lesbians would take steve any day over che i mean that might be you know i might be overstepping my boundary and saying that but i believe that to be true i would yeah i would like a lot of lesbians to vote on who they would rather fuck steve or che my uh my bets are on steve for sure so yeah so they're in a family therapy session and yeah uh i mean justice for steve man and like this therapy i don't even really know what happened they're talking about like brady's like dumb breakup like no one gives a fuck about it but then like brady's like no and we need to talk about your divorce and of course miranda's hesitant but whatever my whole focus was on this like bizarre therapist that's like way too earthy crunchy they it looks like they plucked her out of like a slam poetry night at some like vegan coffee house that was like hosted by miranda july or something it's just it's way too harsh of a vibe like not that i'm going to a million different therapists but from the therapists i've seen in my day like all of the office spaces are a lot more neutral a lot more basic and like not necessarily like institutional or clinical but just a little more ikea than this woman's vibe like she has full like knit things happening like very 70s like uh you know like brady bunch color scheme happening in her office i just hate it like this it's really took me out of the moment like who the fuck is this therapist i hope we don't see her she's just too granola too weird and also looks way too young to be a therapist like I don't know whatever didn't really care about this at all all the kids on end just like that piss me off i've said it once i'll say it a million times don't like it don't like them uh okay che che's ex-husband not ex-husband whatever played by oliver hudson is back kate hudson's brother who's really hot don't believe that he was ever with che whatever they're like setting up furniture carries there at one point who cares the only takeaway from this is that they all fall asleep on a bed they were setting up and oliver hudson starts like to hook up with che while miranda's right there in bed with them and of course che being the fucking evil monster that they are is like are you not okay with this like kind of hinting that like oh if you're not like you're not progressive and you're not cool which honestly like that's a whole different discussion to be had but like that is happening more and more frequently and i've seen it especially in the queer community that it's like oh if you're not super sexually fluid and progressive and open to like 
have an open relationship, have threesomes, and like do this crazy kinky thing. Like, if you're not open to that, you're shamed then for being judgmental, apparently, when sometimes it's really like, no, this is fucked up. Like, Che, you should be not hooking up with your technically husband in front of Miranda, and you should be divorced from him. Like, it's a mess. Like, Che, you are a fucking mess. Ugh. But yeah, and so then Miranda tries to force herself into being okay with it, and she's like, oh, like, actually, my visceral reaction was, no, I'm not okay with this, but, like, let's try it. It's kind of hot. Just, like, again, doofy, doofy Miranda. And, of course, they try to hook up, but it doesn't work out. Miranda gets a Charlie horse, like, the unsexy doofus she is and has to, like, wobble out of the room. Oh, yeah. Okay. Then that's 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 the end of that storyline. Carrie goes to Enid's like business endeavor that she talked about in the beginning of the episode. It's like I think like an online magazine for old women. Great. Of course, Gloria Steinem is there being the fabulous old feminist bitch that she is. I mean, everyone loves her. Like I I'm not gonna pretend that I'm like well versed in the of course, I know who Gloria Steinem is. I'm not well-versed in, you know, all of the good work that she's done. I know that she's a very influential woman. If you ask me, I would prefer that Joan Rivers was there. Whatever, that's just me. Obviously, Joan Rivers is no longer with us, so it would have been impossible. But that would have been a pretty iconic cameo on and just like that. Get fucking Joan Rivers. Like, yes, that would be what I wanted to see. Anyway... It's like uppity whatever. Uh, fucking Bitsy Von Muffling there is again. There she is again. It follows like the fucking cockroach that won't die. And she's like, Carrie! She's like, you should suck this cock. And like sends Carrie a dick pic of some guy. I guess this was also in the episode. This guy has been texting Carrie, but Carrie doesn't know who he is. And Bitsy's like, I gave him your number. Like, what? Like... You can't just give people other people's numbers. Like she's like, you should you should fuck him, Carrie. Like the best way to get over one man is to get under another. And then she sends Carrie a picture of his dick, and it's like a flaccid dick that looks like a Google image search. It's just so bizarre. Like those aren't what dick pics look like. Like it's weird. And how do you have a picture of his dick, Bitsy? Whatever. So then that happens. Gloria Steinem gives her stupid little spiel. And Carrie's like, oh my God, I love you. And she's like, I know. And so her and Enid and Gloria all get a picture together. And then Gloria and then Enid and Carrie are talking and Carrie's like, oh, like I'll write for you. And uh, Enid's like, no, I don't want you to write for this online magazine. I want you to give me $100,000. And Carrie's like, oh. And she's like, yeah, I know you're rich from your husband that died. And Carrie's like, oh, well, Enid, like, if I give you $100,000, like, then I'd have to give everyone $100,000, kind of giving her, like, a, you know, touche, like, back, you know, backhanded, whatever, just, like, giving her some shit, because that's what Enid said to her in the beginning of the episode. And Enid's like, fair, fine, I'll plug your silly little memoir in my thing if you give me my money. And Carrie's like, great. And then she's like, oh, by the way, can I see that picture of us with Gloria Steinem? And she's like, sure. And then she opens Carrie's phone and sees the dick pic and I guess recognizes the penis and is like, that's my boyfriend. And it's like, oh. And I think that was supposed to be really funny, but it just like was really awkward. And then Carrie's like, oh, then I really should pay you. And she's like, but I don't have a checkbook. And Enid's like, I take PayPal. And the uh, final and just like that voiceover is, 
And just like that, me and Enid became PayPal's. So, like, that felt very Carrie, like a nice little pun there. But, yeah, it was just kind of an awkward ending. Actually, upon rewatch, this fourth episode was really a mess. Like, not really much happened, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, wait, and did Naya, did anything happen with Naya? I don't know. If anything did, I didn't make note of it. I don't remember it. It was that forgettable. So yeah, until next time, who knows what the fuck and just like that will bring for us. It's always, always pretty harrowing, always pretty unexpected. I mean, I guess that is what we have to, what we have to appreciate about it. It is very much random. We never know what to expect. So it keeps us guessing and maybe that's what keeps us watching. I mean, I'm just always going to watch it. I'm always going to watch it and hate watch it. It's just... But I'll always do. Okay, who knows how the fuck long I've been rambling. It's I gotta go. It's been too much. But yeah, anyway, that's another episode for you guys. Hope you enjoyed. Until next time. Bye, bitches.